My name is Vicky, and I'm a part of the teaching team here, so it's great to see you guys and share this morning. Um, my, we live in downtown. We've been living in downtown for about 13 years, and um, so we, my, my two sons and I, we just walk around a lot, you know, like we walk to the library, we walk to the park, we walk to Powell's, you know, like we just do a lot of walking, and um, so we see the homelessness situation pretty regularly, you know, like there's two tent communities right by our house, and um, yeah, so seeing homeless, um, seeing the homeless community encountering it, that's like nothing new for my son, who's just turned six. And so as the weather has been turning and as we've been seeing, um, yeah, people just really bundle up. We've just been praying that um, for people who don't have homes or don't have food or don't have enough warmth and uh, yeah, just praying for them that they would find shelter. And my son, after the prayer, was like, um, the next time I see a homeless person, I'm going to invite them to our house so that they can take a shower and get some new clothes. Um, and I just looked at him and I said, it's complicated, buddy. And I left it at that, um, which, you know, there are many other responses that I could have had. But this was not the first or the last conversation we're going to have about homelessness and what to do with that and how to approach it, right? Like, but I love that kids believe that anything is possible and that um, we are capable of great kindness and action, you know, like that there is no thing that they're going to look at and be like, it's, it's too complicated or it's too far from my reach to do anything, right? It is not complicated for Augie, right? They have a need and we have the capacity. Where's the complication, right? But for me, there are a lot of what ifs, right? There are a lot of complexities. Our neighborhood has had a lot of break-ins. Don't worry, everybody. It's okay. <laughs> There's been a lot of break-ins, safety's been in question, there have been a number of fires that have happened, like down the street from us, um, and I just am not willing to risk that, right? Um, there are questions of mental stability, the endless number of homeless people who litter our streets and vandalize our neighborhoods, right? So I understand that the, the problem is more complex and bigger uh, than just, you know, um, giving them a shower, but at the same time, um, I get to deal with that. And I think for me, it's just easier to say no. It's just easier to say, it's complicated, buddy, and move on. Because I don't have the capacity for complicated right now. Life is complicated enough. Like, I don't want the extra complication of trying to figure out like, okay, I'm going to let you in and take a shower, but now what am I going to do? Like, the next time if you come to my door, am I going to be okay with that? What if you bring 10 friends with you? You know, like, whatever, right? So there's obviously a lot of what ifs. Now, we've been in a series during Advent, um, and we've, it's called Possible, right? Um, and that the story of Christmas is around impossible things, right? That a virgin would birth the Messiah, that that is impossible. And Mary does say to the angel, how is that possible? Totally legit question, right? And the angel says, there is nothing impossible with God for there is nothing impossible with God, which means that anything is possible, right? Hope is possible because God sent his son to come and make things possible. He is making it possible for us to hope in something that we're not able to see yet because he is restoring all things, right? It makes it possible. The savior that we've, they've been waiting for years, the Messiah, the rescuer, 
It is a promise that was made a long time ago, a covenant with Abraham. And they were kind of half thinking, maybe this is not going to happen. Sure, this was a promise, but maybe God is not going to come through on this because it feels so impossible. And yet, 2,000 years ago, we get to celebrate this thing, this amazing miracle that happened, that the impossible became possible. And because of that, we get to hope in impossible things. We get to choose into impossible things because we know that God makes all things possible, right? Um, So I wanted us to look a little bit at a prophecy of Jesus coming and what it means for the people and what they were expecting when they were thinking, oh, the Messiah is coming. What Mary is thinking when she hears that, oh, I'm going to birth the Messiah and he's the rescuer that we've been waiting for. They know what they're looking for, but we sometimes, because we're so removed by it, that we don't always think of like, what was it like for them? What were they hoping for? What were they waiting for? And so, um, the Israelites have been in exile for a long time. And so even in first, genera- uh, first generation, um, um, the Jewish people, they were still under exile in so many ways, right? But let's look at Ezekiel. We're going to look at Ezekiel 34 this morning. And the context for this is... Um, God's people have been in exile in Babylon. They have been scattered all over the place. They have had no power, right? Like they have had no home. They've been away from God. They have not been together to form their identity as the people of God. And their ability to go home is not in, within their power. And to be restored to their home is, again, not within their power. So Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16 says this. And this is the promise of God. This is the prophecy. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel." I myself will be the shepherd of my people, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Now, this is the prophecy that they have been holding onto. This is the promise of the Messiah that is to come to rescue them and bring them into a land of abundance. This is the prophecy and the hope that they've been holding onto, waiting for God himself to come as their shepherd, to lead them out of exile back into their rightful place, into their own land, into a place of abundance and food and rest and care, right? The promise of God being their shepherd again, leading them into goodness, into rest, home, and care. This is the dream in their darkness, right? As they sit in suffering, as they sit in powerless, as they sit in um, seeing the injustices around them against against their own people and against other people, they can only hope and dream in this impossible prophecy and promise. It is so far from their reality. 
It is as if they are standing outside of a house that used to be in their family name, this grand, beautiful house, and they're standing outside the windows looking in, just waiting for somebody to unlock the doors, just hoping that maybe somebody would turn on the lights and that they could go inside, and even just to have a warm meal, or even to warm their hands for a little bit. But they sit in darkness, and they just wait, and they wait, and they wonder, I don't know if I'll ever be able to go in. You know, it is as if they're just on the outside looking in, that they are the other, and they just wonder, could I own something again in my name? Could I ever be in a place that I can call home? Could I be in a place of safety and care? And Christmas, the Christmas story is It is like this. It is as if Jesus suddenly turns on all the lights in the house and he flings open the doors and he says, come in, come in. I have been waiting for you and I have been setting a feast for you. Come in and have a meal, sit at my table. Come into this house that I have been preparing for you and don't just stay for dinner, stay forever. There are rooms upstairs. There are clothes that are just in your right size. This is your home. Would you come in? And the people that were once outside, that were the other, suddenly have a place to belong. The people that were on the outside, wondering if the house would ever be open to them, is able to suddenly be in the care of someone who is more powerful, who sees them, who sees their need, and cares about all the different details of their lives right? That is what is happening as people are seeing the Messiah being born. Finally and suddenly, the impossible is happening, and what they have been waiting for is now in their access. They're able to access it, right? Now, we see in Luke 1 that they have traveled to Bethlehem. They're in Galilee, Joseph and Mary. Mary is really pregnant, And they have to go to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus has decreed that a census needs to be taken. And so everybody needs to go back into their hometown to um, basically register so that Caesar Augustus can be proud of all that he owns and all that he rules over, right? And so Joseph travels with a very pregnant Mary into Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is packed to the gills, right? It is a small town, and all of a sudden, All these people are coming in and all of their inns are packed and there is no room in any of the inns, right? I mean, we know Christmas carols. We know the story. Um, And I can imagine how Joseph might be going from place to place only to have the door shut on them or hear the no vacancy or just a mere shake of the head. No, right? And how many people have gone before him asking for a room and also having that same news, Um, I can imagine his desperation that like my wife just needs a place to stay because the baby is coming, right? And finally, one of the innkeepers seeing them offers his manger. He knows it's not a perfect situation. He knows that it will be crowded and inconvenient, not just for Mary and Joseph, but for him and his animals, right? It is all he has to offer, but he offers it. And this is where our Savior is born. It is where the glorious worship party begins from shepherds to wise men from a foreign land. Now, it would have been so much easier for the innkeeper to say, no, no vacancy, right? Because that would be true. He has no rooms in his inn, right? 
like every other innkeeper, he could have just been like, no, sorry. They probably had numerous people that they turned away, and some might have just hung a sign that turned people away so that they didn't even have to see people coming to their door. How many innkeepers do you think had mangers? I would, you know, I was like, I don't know, but I'd say at least half, you know? So, and yet only this one innkeeper looks beyond what he is used to giving and stretches his capacity and his imagination to give something new. He must have had to ask himself what Joseph might have asked. Is there anything you can do? Instead of just saying no, instead of being like, sorry, instead of being like, nope, we have, we have, all, we have used up all our rooms, he asks himself the question, is there anything I can do for this couple in front of me? And he says a very inconvenient and complicated yes. And that has changed everything, right? How many others might not have sat on that question to wonder beyond what they're used to giving and stretched their hearts that night and looked beyond what they were used to giving and say, maybe there is this one other space that I can give. Love is a tricky thing. Loving people who love us is already hard. Loving people who are strangers who we don't know, man, that is very complicated. That is so hard. Our hearts get brittle and stagnant, and our lives are full of things that demand our attention, our time, our money, our resources, right? I feel like I'm running short on love every day just with my family. There are days when love feels impossible, especially when we look back and we realize how many people need care and rest and love and attention it is impossible. And yet, here during Advent, we're reminded nothing is impossible with God. He shows us radical love by giving his son to come and live amongst us in the dirty, sinful mess. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And now, really quickly, there are two truths that move us toward that love. There are two things that kind of help us understand that and sit in that. One is that we can relate to being the other. We are the people that were standing outside that house looking in, wondering if there might be a place that we might belong, right? We know what it's like to be on the outside, to be helpless and hopeless. And we know what it's like to be rescued, to be allowed in, to be called a friend and a daughter and a son. We know what it means to be the other. And so God creates that as we're able to see the others around us and relate and be like, I know what that's like. And I wonder what I would have wanted someone else to do for me if I was on the outside, right? The second thing is that he will cover us and take care of us. I love the image in Ezekiel, right? That it is a God who is abundant with care. It is a God who sees his sheep and he himself is the shepherd. He himself is the one that goes after his sheep who are scattered. And he will go all over the place in the deep darkness through the clouds to get his sheep back and lead them to their own land to good grazing pasture. I know we're not sheep, so that doesn't sound delicious to us, but you know, like the idea and the picture is abundance, right? That we sometimes feel like we're so short on love, what is there to give? And when I give everything, who's gonna watch out for me? When I am taking care of other people, who is taking care of me? 
And here in Ezekiel and all over scriptures, we see that God will take care of us. God will cover us and provide for us. He will lead us to a good land. He will make us lie down, right? Jesus, when he, before he goes to the cross, what does he do with the disciples? He bends down and he washes their feet. The king, the glorious Messiah that has been sent, he goes down and does the lowliest thing. And he says to them, hey, do this too. But there is no place where we will bend so low that Jesus has not bent lower. And so even when we feel like, I am just pouring out here in this very complicated relationship where I'm trying to love this person, Jesus is like, I see that, and I'm still washing your feet and caring for you as you do that. And so we can freely say, even though it feels hard, even if it feels impossible, I know that Jesus is still going to care for me. He's still going to provide for me. He's still going to watch out for me. He's going to double down and take care of me when I feel like, Man, I am pouring out and taking care of other people. Now, before I go any more into this, I actually wanted to invite my friend Anya to come up and share her story. Because, you know, Anya and I have known each other for a while. She moved out from Boston, and yeah, we, um, I, I remember her name, Anya Kwasnick, and I was like, and when I met her, I was like, that's not what I expected, you know? Um, but she just has an incredible story, and I've always been so... Um, I just have really loved her thoughtful way of following Jesus. She's just so intentional and thoughtful about the way she follows Jesus. And as we've spent time in our MC together and just seeing her grow and lean more into that in the different transitions of her life, I've just been really, um, I've just really admired her and her decisions. So Anya, would you please come up? I'm going to have her share a little bit more instead of me introducing her anymore. So... Hi. You want to sit? Sure. <laughs> All right. So, Anya, just share a little bit about yourself. Give us a little background on you. Um, well, yeah, my name is Anya Kwasnik, and I'm adopted. So my last name is Polish, actually. And um, I grew up in Vermont. My, I grew up um, with my parents, and also um, they had, or I guess a total of adopted eight kids and also had five kids. And so grew up with a big family. Yeah, that's a really big family. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, and can you tell us a little bit of like when you became a Christian and how was that and what was going on? Did you grow up? So I God? didn't grow up a Christian. I would say that my family would go to church on Easter and Christmas if it was convenient for us. If we had other bigger plans to do, we would probably just stay home or do other things. Um, I became a Christian when I was in college my freshman year. And I think before then, I don't think I was like, super far off on the deep end or anything like that. My family, I think of our core values were work to work hard, to give generously, and to like kind of do it yourself. And I think a lot of ways how my parents showed that was financially giving to people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what brought you out to Portland? So I came out to Portland a little over five years ago and um, for graduate school. And so I was, the plan was to only stay here for three years and then move back to Boston. Yeah. But I'm still here. Yeah. Portland does that sometimes. I guess so. Um, so if you were to describe like how you experience Jesus' love as a foundation for like how you make decisions every day, like, yeah. How, yeah. Share a little bit on that and maybe give us a couple of examples of how you see your relationship with God influence mm -hmm. your everyday stuff. 
Yeah, so actually when you gave me the kind of the prompts and the questions, this one was the hardest one for me to prepare for. I think part of it is because I think your relationship and your love with God is very personal, right? And like for everyone. And so it's like, how do I try to succinctly share this, right? And I think I went back to when I first became a Christian, back when I was a freshman. Before then, a lot of just what I did was I did it on my own. And like, I think I was like, I was doing good work, right? I was, I worked hard, I studied, I didn't get in trouble. And I think freshman year, it was the first time where I was working hard, I was doing it myself, and I wasn't getting the results I wanted. I was struggling in school. I was homesick. I wasn't finding the community I wanted. It was like, what? I'm doing everything right. Why is not that, not, and not going the way I want it to yeah. go? And I think that's when I was introduced kind of to Jesus. And I think I, I grew up knowing Christmas and just the story. So it wasn't like it was a whole new concept, but it was this idea that regardless, God loves me regardless of my successes, regardless of my works, regardless of what I do, in spite of my brokenness, my pride, and how I can just do it myself, um, he loves me. And I think that was a different way of just thinking of, of it, right? And how, kind of like why I do what I do. And so that was kind of like the first step. And I think as I got to know Jesus more and my relationship with God got deeper, um, more uncertain things came about, right? What should I do with my life? Um, where should I live? Um, should I go to Portland? Um, all these other bigger questions happened. And I think as my relationship got deeper, I had more peace with the, kind of the choices where I was going. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, so what are some ways that you felt challenged to stretch your heart and your time and your space to bring love and hope around you? And maybe you could tell us a little bit about that process, because I know that it's not like, sometimes we are like, oh, excellent job, and we don't hear about all the struggle and the process to get there, you know? So maybe you could fill us in on some of that for you. Yeah, um, so I think it was during the Five Capital series, and I think it was during that time, which I really enjoyed that series, along with, I think I had dinner with you and Birch, and you guys were sharing about someone, Barry. Barry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you shared Barry's story to me about how just with, due to circumstances, he now is ex- like having a hard time experiencing like housing insecurity and all these different things. And I think the three of us were just sharing like how we just have a safety net. We have community. And if I ever had to, did not, wasn't able to pay rent and wasn't able to live where I lived, I knew a handful of people who I could crash at their place. Yeah. I was, I would be fine. Yeah. And that isn't everyone's story. That's that, that's not everyone's circumstance. And I think just thinking of that along with the five capital series, coupled with the fact that my roommate and I were looking for an extra, we have an extra bedroom, and we were praying for whoever was going to fill that space. Um, in many ways. Um, the space who, or who we were praying for was still pretty much like, we're thinking a Christian girl, um, someone who wasn't super clean, but not super messy. <laughs> will we like them? And will they pay rent on time? Kind yeah. of like those logistical yeah. things. You know, I think we were thinking, you know, we are so busy with work. We're so busy in our own communities. We don't want someone to come into our lives in our home, in our apartment yeah. to then, you know, where we have to pour into that. You know, we want someone who we like. Yeah. And so that was kind of the first 
kind of thing that kind of was happening. And then just thinking about it, I talked to my roommate Camille and just first posed the question, can we use our room differently? Like why not have our room open to I don't know, foster care or emergency housing for women who experience domestic violence. Like, could we do that instead? And I think that was kind of like the first thing we were toying with the idea. Um, what that would mean was, well, we would have to pay rent. Like, fully, just the two of us, we would maybe have, our time would be taken up more. And so we were kind of like talking about that. And then we kind of talked to, I like brought it up to MC and kind of asked for prayer. Um, I was like, this is what I'm thinking. This is what Camille's, like we're thinking together. Um, pray for us. I'm, I don't know. Like, Because I, I think also at the same time, it's like I don't want to, I'm always hesitant to ever do anything with my own might, right? I think it's easy for me to be like, yeah, let's do it and let's figure it out and then have just say a foster child in our in our room and be like, well, now I have to like, be home and you know figure out all these other things I didn't want to like rush into it with this for me thinking like oh this is a good thing for me to be yeah. doing but actually like oh this is something that I could use this for yeah so I yeah don't know. did I answer your question yeah yeah I mean that's I mean that is an amazing thing to be thinking about especially I mean what were some of the challenges to going forward with that like what are some of the you know, the typical, th so you talked about like, oh, that would mean that we would have to pay rent. That would mean that the way that we considered how we saw our house would be different. But like, were there challenges just internally for you that made you want to like, just move on from that, you know? Yeah, I think honestly, life, just the busyness of every day just gets in the way, right? Yeah. Um, the first thing we're doing, like, yeah, we should get to go to info sessions about foster care. We should do all these things. We should, along with praying about it, and we just don't sign up. <laughs> we yeah. just forget about it. Or we look and we're like, oh, the last one happened last week, and we just didn't know about it. I think those are just like natural barriers that we just, and just our lives get busy. But I think the biggest challenge that I've like been going through is I feel like it's just not the right time, right? I'm like, oh, I just like have a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I think when Camille and I were talking about it, and I really do appreciate, she said this to me was, I was like, oh, maybe like when I'm married, and this is before, you know, this is, and I was like, maybe when I'm married, because when you're married, you have more stability, you can do this, and I'm not sure how she phrased it, but in summary, she was like, I'm sick of people saying once you're married. Yeah. Like us as two single girls, we can do this right now. Mm. And I was like, that's true. Amen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I think that was like really like, I was like, oh yeah, we can. And now currently um, thinking like, oh, I'm, get I'm getting married soon. And I, so I'm like, oh no, life is over. <laughs> and thinking like, <laughs> and I like, um, <laughs> and, the, and like, I feel like a part of me feels like, I, once I'm married, I can't do this. And uh, that's also not true. Right. And I think also reminding myself, um, and Caleb, my fiance, says, is like, we can also do that. It might not be an extra room, but it will be yeah. something, right? We can still do that, but it just will look differently, right? Yeah. And so... Yeah, and I love that because I think that there are times that we just think, oh, this is not the right time because... I'm renting the space. Like maybe there are things around that or yeah, I'm not married. And so when I'm married, that's when I'll do that. Or when I graduate from college, that's when I'll do that. When I'm not in debt, that's when I'll do that. And always thinking that there will be a time when you will want to sacrificially give. You know, like when it will be comfortable and easy, 
Well, the thing is, like, it is never comfortable and easy to just invite someone into your home or your life and foster parent or, you know, invite someone who needs an emergency shelter or any of these things that we know are good things that some of us might have actually been called to and are waiting for stability, whatever that even looks like in our lives, right? And I love that Anya, as a single woman in a rental trying to figure out life with another single woman is like, well... If not now, then when, you know? Um, And I invited you up here to share, not because, oh, and then there's this incredible story of you foster parenting someone or or whatever, because I think some of the most important thing for you was that you even asked the question. I remember when you asked us as an MC to pray for you, I was like, but what if blah, 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 blah. Like, I was like the voice of caution and... um, negativity, right? Like, I was like, but what about your job? You know, like, what about if they needed other stuff? And what, what does Camille say? And, you know, all those different things. And I just felt so challenged by you that you didn't allow those things to stop you from even asking the question, like, is there something I can do here? You know? Um, so if there's, I know I'm totally springing this on you, but if there's any one thing that you want to, if you want to challenge us or encourage us as a community um, to, to do or to think about, like, is there any one thing that as you've experienced this in transition and, and, and your process, what is one thing that you would say? That is a good question. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I always challenge myself with is that I think a lot of times I'm just waiting for the right call, right? Yeah. The right calling. Oh, like I, I, there's so much need and there's so much brokenness in this world. I was like, you can't pick up everything and try to fix it or do it yourself. And I think a lot of times we're just waiting for that one thing where we can fully pour into it and for it to be big, right? Yeah. I think kind of like this a big idea, this big production, but Jesus doesn't call us for that, right? Jesus calls us to love the foreigner, the widow, the, ch- the children, and sometimes that's really small. Yeah. And sometimes if there's need right in front of you, just do it, kind of like yeah. pick it up. Not because you are, because you can do it, because you see it and, and God calls us to, to love the people around us and because we are loved regardless of all our messiness. So yeah. maybe? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Anya. Thank you for sharing. Why don't you guys give her a round of applause? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so just to wrap this up, like, are there places that we can create space in our hearts for something more? Is there room in the inn for one more person, right? And I think that it all starts with the heart. We can't create a space in our apartment or at our table or in our communities or, you know, with the needs around us if we haven't started creating space in our hearts. If we aren't even asking the question, when we see a need or when we're invited into something, it is so much easier to say no because I'm not, I'm not married yet or I don't have the space or my schedule's too full or whatever, but to even just ask the question. So my challenge to us today is not jump into international missions today, you know? It is to just ask the question. Would God, might God actually be sending me into a place of need, right? And that could be Zambia, or that could be Southwest Portland, <laughs> that could be wherever, right? But, and, and if I see this need, is there anything I can do about that, 
right? That we would be a community that would get used to asking that question instead of saying, that's too complicated, or not today, maybe later when I am whatever, right? Is there something I can do today? Is there a way that I can create space in my own heart and stretch beyond my own imagination to lean into this love that is possible, right? So we get to celebrate being, uh, sharing communion today at the table. And, you know, this is available to us um, because of something impossible, because of God's incredible love for us that he would send his son to die for us to create access where there was no access, to make a way when there was absolutely no way. And it is his incredible, impossible, pursuing love that says, come to the table and eat. You are not on the outside. You get to come on the inside. You get to come to my table. I have created space for you here because you belong, because you are a daughter and a son of God. And he created that way when there was absolutely no way. And so this morning... um, wherever there are, perhaps something feels really impossible in your life, or where you are challenged and yet there are all these different challenges that make you not want to lean in, would you come to the table? Because here at the table, Jesus says, it is possible. Here at the table, Jesus says, I will provide for that. Here at the table, Jesus wants to speak to us and invite us into more than just our survival. So let me pray for us, and then you guys can come to the table. Father God, we thank you so much for the season of Christmas that it reminds us that nothing is impossible with you. It reminds us of the incredible love in in the incredible offering of abundance um, when you sent your son to come. And even in a place of poverty and need in the manger, You glorified it with your angels, with the shepherds coming. You found worshipers everywhere to come to this lowly manger to worship the king. And so, God, we just pray as we come to the table that we would experience hope and love and possibility. God, that we would stretch our hearts and invite you to come and create space in our hearts for more for the others around us. Yeah, that we would be a people who would say yes instead of simply no. We pray this in your name. Amen.